Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Oh! A jawbreaker! Curry with a drive. Step back three. Bingo! Happy New Year and welcome to this edition of The Core Four, one of the featured podcasts on the Grizzly Bear Blues Network. My name is David Buckler, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, MG, Matt Gill, and Zay Time, Xavier Dotson. Good to be with you both. Xavier, how was your New Year's? Man, it was great. Spent time with the family. I ate a lot of food. Picked up a few pounds over these holidays. So, you know, you got the New Year's grind, New Year resolution. Got to hit the gym. <laughs> uh, good to hear, Matt. How about you? Good start to 2023. Yeah, great start. Saw a couple of buddies on New Year's Eve, and I was still in bed by 12:30. So, like, I nailed it. Honestly, that's as good as a New Year's as you could have in my book. I was, I was in and out. I, I made, I filled all my obligations, and still uh, was in bed at a decent hour. So, I, I nailed it. It was great for me. Uh, incredible college football playoff. I'm sure you guys watched as well. So. It was a great weekend, honestly. No, it's good to hear. As you can tell, I got a little bit of a sore throat going here. Like I told you, I was listed officially on the NBA injury report this morning as out, but I was upgraded to doubtful. So uh, good to be here with you guys. One, one thing, you know, I always look for, like, you know, a good start to the new year. I did cut my hand today with my wife putting away the Christmas decorations, and I was bleeding like Ric Flair in 1985. Like, I was going 60 minutes with Dusty Rhodes for the NWA world title, but I think I'm okay. I feel a little lightheaded, but uh, but again, God almighty, great to be with you both. We're taping this show Monday evening, January 2nd, 2023. We have a lot to cover today as we've now turned the calendar into the new year. Soon we'll be looking at the NBA All-Star game and the chase for the playoffs, or in the case of the Grizzlies, the chase for a high playoff seeding in the Western Conference. Should be super exciting. Now, in this episode, we're going to look back at the stretch of saw Memphis go 3-0 since our last broadcast with solid wins over Toronto on the road and home victories over the Pelicans and Kings. We're sitting now at 23-13, and one game behind the Nuggets in the West, and the season really is shaping up nicely. We have a nice run of games coming up here with the Hornets, Magic Jazz, and two with the Spurs. So, in addition to some of our regular segments tonight, Embrace Debate, Climbing Corners, Xavier's X's and O's, and then this league, which will examine the best and worst front office in the league, we're going to take a look at where Memphis fits into this conversation in the Western Conference. Let's go back from this past week. I did think it washed away some of the bitterness after a tough stretch that included the Christmas game against the Warriors. Matt, how do you feel about the team right now? Really good bounce back. As everybody knows, Toronto, really tough place to play. And then you play New Orleans and Sacramento and back-to-back nights. Uh, and you look really good, um, especially in the second night of that when you're a little bit more shorthanded for sure. The thing that really stuck out to me is the defense. Uh, it's been incredible, especially over that three-game stretch. And that probably has something to do with the fact um, that they lost that way on Christmas Day to the Warriors. 
Um, the Sun, the Phoenix game, uh, they did give up a couple. The, the, the Phoenix shot around 50%, which is not great. But in that last little three-game stretch we are talking about, Toronto held them to 41%. New Orleans, 35%, which is incredible for a team that's full of scorers there. And Sacramento last night, 40% as well. If you can keep teams under that number, this team uh, in Memphis can, can score really efficiently because they are so uh, – you know, motivated to score within the paint. So they can put up, you know, 50% shooting nights on any given night. And so that really was the key to me. Uh, and, and the pace as well. These guys have been playing really quickly and getting up and down the floor. Um, and I want to shout out Xavier. One of the best takes of the season pre uh, preseason was that Sacramento and Memphis was going to be a great rivalry. They've had some awesome games so far. I can't wait for the uh, next iteration of that matchup. And that could be a really fun playoff series too. Absolutely. And, and Xavier, good vibes are flowing here for this week. Uh, Steven Adams and Dylan Brooks were really good. We've talked about them a lot on the show. If I may, though, the past two games saw our starters shoot a combined six of 36 from three point range. That's under 17 percent. Is that a cause for concern? I don't think so. Um, I mean, we know this team is a paint driven team. Taylor Jenkins isn't going to change away from that. I do think like later on in the playoffs, we are going to have to make those threes. Of course, that last game against the Kings, we didn't have Desmond Bain. Um, and then as well, you got guys that's just so many different lineups, in and out of lineups. I think those shots are going to start to fall. We forget that John Morant was starting the season off. He was shooting around almost 35% behind the three-point line, even 40% at the three-point line. And so, you know, you got slumps that come in and out. Um, but I feel like that we, we still are a great team. Like it's, I, I find it so crazy that we won back-to-back games with the Toronto – and then the New Orleans Pelican games without making 10 three-pointers. And the last time that's been done with the Grizzlies was back in basically in the grid and grind era in the 2017. It's sort of unheard of in today's NBA to do that. But I don't think it's truly that much concerning, especially the way our defense has been playing. Um, these guys are locking – they've locked in defensively. I'm really, really proud of that, especially uh, David Roddy off the bench. I feel like he's such an underrated defender now. He stepped up in guard Zion. And then last night he played some great minutes. I feel like he's a huge X factor now, especially when you have guys that's still in and out the lineup. We had was short. We were short last night without Santi, short without Zaire. And then as well, you know, you know Zaire hasn't came along quickly. And so now you can look at David Roddy like, okay, maybe we can throw some extra minutes to him because maybe he's ready now. So. I'm, I'm, I'm not just too worried about the three-point shooting. I know this is a three-point shooting league, and they can that can switch around on us. It could bite back, it could bite you, or it could uh, really make you. So we got to see if the Grizzlies can bounce back. I do feel like the threes are going to fall. Desmond Bain is going to find a rhythm. I know John Conchar, he's been iffy with his threes, but he's always been a great three-point shooter. And these shooters, they go through slumps at the end of the day. And I feel like the Grizzlies, they just had a slump at the end of December. Early January, I feel like sometime we're going to find the threes are going to start knocking down. Good, good, good. Okay, let's jump into our first segment here, Embrace Debate. We're going to talk today about Steven Adams. He's been an absolute force recently, dominating the offensive and defensive glass, even getting a little more aggressive, if you will, on offense. His willingness to do the dirty work for this team, it's great. It's evidenced by the public statements recently by John Morant and Coach Jenkins. It shows his importance, I really believe, to this team. Matt, I've been vocal in my concern that Adams may be a liability in some playoff potential matchups 
due to his offensive limitations, especially the free throw line. Is that fair? I think it's totally fair, and I've been with you the whole season up until this point. I just think he had a really good December. I think he's had an incredible season altogether. This is easily his best year as a Grizzly uh, on the whole, and there's a lot of good uh, things that he's done for this team for sure. Uh, Looking back at that three-game stretch that you just said, 17 rebounds in Toronto, and then these past two games on back-to-back nights, 21 rebounds against the Pelicans, 23 rebounds against the Kings. That's incredible. The only person that's doing something like that or coming anywhere close is Jokic. And uh, for Steven Adams to be doing that is is super helpful for this team. Looking back at his entire December, where I think he's really taken a leap and kind of turned the corner on me and thinking that he is going to be valuable in the, in the postseason. Uh, in December, he went eight and a half points per game, 11.6 rebounds per game, 2.4 assists. Everybody always says how he's an underrated passer. Uh, He's looked very good in that department and is always the screen game. But here's the thing that's really elevated his game, something that he's – I don't know if he's been working on it intentionally, if it's something that she's just found a groove with. 1.5 blocks a game in December, 1.2 blocks per game for this season, which would tie his career high if that number uh, held Pat by the end of the year. The other time he did have 1.2 blocks per game in a season was 14-15 against OKC. Obviously, Jaron Jackson is the guy who is going to anchor your defense for you, but having Steven Adams come back there and and be kind of a second option, do some rim protecting when Jaron's in foul trouble is really valuable, and I think that that could be a reason where he may be more of an asset in this postseason than he was last year. I like it. it. Xavier, what what do you think about uh, what Matt's points were there in terms of uh, Steven Adams' contributions to the, the team this far? Yeah, like he's just been perfect, especially with the energy he's been bringing that whole month of December, rebounding. And like what Matt's saying, the blocks, I I wanted to emphasize that. I was at the game last night against the Kings. He had that really that game-selling block against De'Aaron Fox. And it's like he's moving his feet a bit better. I think he's just more engaged, and he's bought into the system. And I go back and think, I know like it was sort of a mismatch of the playoffs last year that he really could not find his groove. We miss Steven Adams. I don't think a lot of people forget about the, the Golden State right. Warriors series. Steven Adams missed a good amount of those games because he was out for health and safety protocols. We look at Kevon Looney. That last game, he had 20 rebounds. Imagine if Steven Adams was out there. That would not have happened. Like uh, Steven Adams has been a rebounding monster, and I think it's just he's locking in, he's dialing in, and he knows what unit that he has. And he knows his role. He doesn't try to do things – that's out in the ordinary. He's trying his best to get the rebounds, and that's what he loves to do. I mean, he's happy rooting and, and banging with those guys. I, I've never seen nobody like him other than Dennis Rodman that actually just likes to be in the paint just battling with bigs 24-7. And I know he's so valuable for this team now. It's just offensively he creates the screens, and then the, he's the cleanup man. And then defensively, like you said now, Matt, He's able to get those blocks, and then as well, he's guarding those bigger defenders of Jokic and sometimes Valdez Man, every time Stephen Adams matchups against Jonas Valdez he makes Jonas fouls out. <laughs> he does every game now. Like and it makes us look like, wow, did we commit a robbery between the Pelicans for that big swap to swap? So I, I'm appreciating Stephen Adams more and more by each day, each game. But we can't deny the fact that in the playoffs, someone shooting 33% from the free throw line is going to be targeted down the stretch. In a close game, he's going to be targeted. They're going to foul him intentionally, and that's a problem. Yeah, that, I think, it may, yeah, that is correct, of course. 
His free throw shooting has been abysmal. But it's, like I said, I'm not saying it would have been like a a totally different thing going back to the playoffs against the Warriors last year. Because, I mean, we didn't have John Morant. And if Steven Adams played at least a good amount of those minutes, because Kevon Looney and Andrew Wiggins, they killed us on the glass last year on offensive rebounds. Jaron Jackson isn't a great rebounder. And he the reason that we can cover up for him is because of Steven Adams. Jaron Jackson isn't just a strong, dominant rebounder. So it's like, what poison do you pick your poison? Like, okay, yes, Steven Adams, he's not a great free throw shooter. But if you put Jaron at the five, guess what? He's going to rack up more fouls. He's not a strong rebounder. So what are we going to choose? It all depends on what the matchups is. And I understand the free throw shooting is bad, but shoot, the whole team sucks at shooting free throws. So, I mean, that's a problem all around. So we we, we really got to pick your poison right there. Matt, you had something to add? Yeah, well, that's what I was just looking at. I was looking at what are the other options. Yeah, Brandon Clark, 75% fine. But, like, after you get past that, like, Santi – Xavier Tillman, they're not like, and even Brandon Clark in that, it's not like you're swapping them out for like a Clay Thompson level free throw shooter. It's not a, a massive jump. The attacking part of it is definitely true. Uh, the thing I do want to bring up though is what we have to remember is Xavier brought up the Golden State series. I go back to the Minnesota series though. He just got played off the floor because they they could stretch the floor with Carl um, Anthony Towns. And when I look at what the Grizzlies are going to have to go through to get to an NBA Finals this season, you look at the top six seeds, not including Memphis, obviously, but you look at Denver. They have Jokic, a guy who can stretch the floor. New Orleans, who can stretch the floor with uh, Valanciunas. Dallas can go five out uh, with Christian Wood, and, they, and that's just the, their preferred way to play no matter who's on the floor usually. The Clippers can go super small with guys like Robert Covington and Marcus Morris, and Sacramento has some bonus. So it hasn't really borne out so far in the matchups this season in the regular season, but once we get to playoff time, we all say that the playoff basketball is so much different from the regular season. And the thing that he, you know, it's great that he's doing all these block shots and he is helping out with the assist game and the screens. His value is is as a rebounder. And when he has to cover these stretch bigs, that pulls him away from the basket. And that is really my main concern, more so than the free throw shooting, is he can just be completely nullified if he's 20, 30 feet from the basket. He can't be as good of a rebounder when he has to face those kind of teams and those kind of players. Well, even Golden State too, right? You didn't mention the Warriors. And the they, way they play. They have that option for sure. But I, I yeah. think when what to Xavier's point, the thing was that, that really killed him was one, John Morant not playing, and two, Kevon Looney having all those rebounds. Yeah. In those situations, Steven can be out, Steven Adams can be out there and, and definitely hold his own as a rebounder. But I look around up and down the West, there are stretch bigs out there, and teams have options, even if they're not starters necessarily. Teams in the West have options to stretch the floor, go five out, and make it really hard to keep a guy like Steven Adams on the floor. And it will be interesting to see, you know, what the teams look like. There's going to be some trades. You hear Carl Anthony Towns' name. I heard even, you know, maybe to Phoenix, you know, putting a package together. He would really change that dynamic a little bit. Some of the teams out there looking to make a move. But let me ask you guys this, because Grizzly Twitter doesn't like me very much, because sometimes I'm anti-Steven Adams. I love Steven Adams. But he worries me. I I did think it was interesting today. uh, I read something that the Grizzlies clearly won the trade and like exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation Like, hold on a second here. Okay. So if we're looking at the trade for Jonas Valanciunas, so Steven Adams is a better defensive player, but that trade wasn't just one for one. So when they say the Grizzlies clearly won the trade, 
Well, I'm looking at Trey Murphy, who's played 33 games for New Orleans. He's scoring almost 13 points a game. He's shooting 43% from three-point range, 91% from the free-throw line, finding his footing. Trey Murphy looked pretty good on this roster. And because he's a part of that trade, we got Zaire Williams, who everyone loves, but has now played 10 games. He's, he's averaging under five points a game. And I don't know, Xavier, is this a lost season for Zaire? Um, it's, it's questionable because he's back out with the knee soreness. And they said that last time, and that became a, a long, prolonged injury. So we don't know if that's going to happen again. I mean, I look at Trey Murphy. Trey Murphy is a perfect acquisition for the Pelicans. He fits right around Zion Williamson. Of course, he's going to Zion's going to gravitate people. And he's just going to kick it out, and Trey Murphy is going to swoosh the threes. So yeah, we talk about you talked about it earlier, Dave, of, of the three point struggles. Of course, Trey Murphy will fit along perfectly with John Morant and next to Desmond Bain. But I still feel like, you know, the big, the big situation, I felt like that was just the perfect trade. I'm not going to say we swooping and stole this trade. And I felt like and feel like it's, it was like an equal. It was a, a highway robbery. It was not. But in terms of big man, it was perfect for each other. Valachunas wants the ball down in the paint. John Moran wants to drop into the paint. It's just now Valachunas was he just started expanding his game. He went was like seven for seven for a three point line once before. Yeah, Valachunas just started doing that, and he compliments the Pelicans well because you have times, of course, when Zion is out the game, you got a guy who's able who's capable of scoring. He's a double double machine, and so what the Grizzlies knew that. A lot of the offense, the offensive load was going to be put more on John Morant. And as soon as we traded, John, traded Jonas Valanciunas, he John Morant had career highs. He looked like an MVP, and that's because Jonas wanted his touches. I mean, it, they literally those the trade for each other down down in Mississippi. It worked for both teams, and I don't feel like it's a highway robbery. And I mean, I understand. Yes, we could have Trey Murphy, but I still feel like Zaire. I still feel like he still has so much potential, and I don't know for sure if this is going to be a throwaway season because, like I said, it, it's he's back to that knee soreness, and we don't know. I, I don't know, Matt. I mean, you you know, here in, in, in what what Xavier said there, is it at least fair to say that the trade was not Stephen Adams for Jonas Valanciunas? Yeah, I mean, you got to look at the totality of it for sure, right. and you're you nailed it. I mean, Trey Murphy would look awesome on this team. Uh, not just the three-point shooting, but the way he can attack the rim is something that he did not flash as much in college. But, man, he looks good going at the rim. And we've seen some highlight dunks against the Grizzlies even. Um, but I think that this is one of those trades where both teams can win a trade. Not everybody has to be um, – you know, it doesn't have to be a loss on one side or the other. I think both teams needed some value, needed some different things out of that position and those players and – at the time, I think Valanciunas was more valuable to the Pelicans than he was to the Grizzlies. And now I think that you can look at it and say that Steven Adams is the more more valuable player to his individual team. I'm a guy who likes rookies. I like I like that as a, as a big plus. We're going to talk about front offices later on. But what you do with your rookies and how you hit on your draft picks is a big thing for me. I, I still think Zaire is going to be fine. Um, this, again, is something that I think goes back to, like, he may just still be growing. He's a young kid. Uh, it sounds like that could – we've seen him on the floor next to guys like Jaron Jackson. He looks almost the same size. So this is a dude who's definitely grown since he's been in the league, and maybe that plays a part in it. 
And if it's, and if that's the case, then it probably is likely that he's going to be experiencing this discomfort all year long and maybe even into the start of next year even. But I don't, I don't want to the, – the book is not written by any means on Zaire Williams, and this isn't a trade that I think either way, even if the Grizzlies, you know, don't ever get another good or solid or even if Zaire's never a starter for them, I don't think that that necessarily means it was a bad trade either. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. All right, today's next topic, climbing corner. We're going to play a little GM as we start to see how this season is unfolding and how the team is shaping up. I've been clear, I think Zach Kleiman is going to make a mid-season trade as the market shapes up, as teams start playing more for Wembayama than the playoffs. Matt, does Dylan Brooks's recent play change the front office's approach? I think it definitely has to be taken into account. I think he's looked pretty good over these last 10 games or so. You take, I mean, the Golden State game obviously wasn't his best, but I mean, on the whole, over the last 10 games, 44% from the field, 38% from three. Those are really good numbers for a guy like Dylan Brooks, over 80% from the free throw line as well. And he's been a plus 81 over those 10 games uh, as well. Plus minus isn't everything, but it's a good uh, indicator that he is valuable to this team and something they shared on the broadcast last night. I didn't actually, I didn't fact check this by any means, but you know, you kind of went at him defensively last week and, and, and what they had said on the broadcast was that he is second in all the defensive metrics. When you look at the on off numbers and he's only second to Jaron Jackson jr. Maybe he's not second, maybe he's top five though. And I think that that still speaks to how valuable he is as a defender for this team. And I just don't know that they're going to find another guy who is as valuable on the trade market for them defensively. And I think that there is still some value in having such a great defensive player on the perimeter as Dylan Brooks has been. The shot selection at times can still be a little wonky. He went on a stretch against Sacramento last night that I think he got a little bit ahead out of out in front of his skis. But on the whole, he's looked better uh, in, in the terms of shot selection. I think what we saw last night was a uh, – you know, was a factor in the the fact that other guys just weren't playing. So he had to take more shots. Desmond Bain wasn't out there. Zaire wasn't out there. Santi wasn't out there. So Dylan Brooks stepped up. And that's what he does when there's a, when there's a hole to fill on the scoring end. He's got, he's got no problem uh, stepping up and taking more shots. The thing with Dylan Brooks has always been this. Either take less shots or make more of them. And if he can do that come playoff time, I don't really care what he does in the regular season. The playoffs is what's going to determine – uh, as long as he's still on this team, like you said, Dave, you 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 know they that he really could be the thing that they structure a deal around midseason. But if he's on this team, come playoff time, and he can show the ability that he can take smarter shots, play within the offense, and defend really hard, I think that Dylan Brooks is going to be a long-term Grizzly after this offseason. Yeah, and the defense is great. And one thing, like, I want to be fair. The one thing I really noticed, even in the Sacramento game, Xavier on on Sunday, when Brooks uses his shoulders to create space around the basket. He, he really is an effective player. I, I love the way he does that to get his, his good looks closer to the basket. But there's something about the extension that sort of seems odd to me at this point. And I don't know, like, does he look around the locker room and say, 
well, the extended Conchar, they extended, you know, they gave Steve Adams a few more years, right? They, they extended Brandon Clark. Of course, John got the max. Now, people will push back, and, you know, I get crap on Twitter all the time. Oh, it's because I can only give Dylan Brooks four years, $61 million. Okay, do you want to pay Brooks four years, $100 million? I mean, what's, what's, yeah. his, what's, his, what's his price as a restricted free agent? Do we want to pay Dylan Brooks $25 to $30 million a year? Realistically, of course, no, you you don't. But at the same time, though, like you don't want to 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 trap yourself under a contract with him. I mean, we go back and look at uh, the Brandon Clark. Well, that is a different situation. So I, I I personally believe that Dylan Brooks, yeah, that the Grizzlies they're waiting waiting on this. Like, I, it was just a tweet sent out by Sham Sham saying that the Grizzlies could possibly really be looking for an active star this 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 year to do a mid-season trade and so of course you look at the dylan brooks situation his contract and then um danny green he's like he has an expired contract you can package up and throw in of course you know a few first round picks and you can find yourself a star but i just think that dylan brooks just has too much valuability on his team right he's too valuable on his team right now as a perimeter defender and sometimes as a scorer we we really don't know if we trade Dylan Brooks, who's going to step into that third spot and play that greater defense against their, uh, the opposing team's best perimeter player. Zaire, he's out with the growing pains. David Roddy, I feel like David Roddy, he has stepped up, but at the same time, he has not. He he He's just a rookie. And so we trade for another star. Uh, of course, you, you throw it in, Dave, somebody like DeMar DeRozan. Say for instance, DeRozan, of course, he's gonna get you buckets. He's gonna give you twenty five points a night. But is he gonna bring that same intensity def- defensively like Dylan Brooks? And I don't know if you guys are big on uh, advanced stats, but looking at the stats between uh, Jaron Jackson and Dylan Brooks on the floor, like our defensive numbers are huge. So it's gonna be a huge drop off if we really do lose Dylan Brooks. Of course, we're gonna have Jaron back, and he's gonna be that main star. But I, I see that, that the Grizzlies are going to uh, extend him because, I mean, like Zach Kleinman said, he feels like he's a part of this team, a part of the, the future for this Grizzlies team. Now, of course, we, we all, us as fans, we take things a lot more critical when seeing these games. We like, man, Dylan Brooks chucking up these shots. We just need to go ahead and trade him. I don't see why the Grizzlies like him. Yada, yada, yada. Well, luckily, that's not why, luckily, we're not the GMs. The GMs, and the executives, they have the patience. They they understand the players. They know the players and what they're going to do. So Zach Kleinman is a smart guy, and he knows he's not going to do it off emotion just because of Dylan Brooks having a bad game or he's just out of his mind right now. He knows what Dylan Brooks actually brings to the table. He knows how valuable Dylan Brooks is for the Grizzlies organization. So I still feel like Dylan Brooks is going to get this contract extension. But again, he's not signing for four years, $60 million, right? So, so four years, you want, do we want to pay him Jaron Jackson money? Is he the third best player on an NBA championship team? It, it worries me. I gotta be honest with you guys. I was looking at Bruce Brown from Denver, who I would put at like the fifth or sixth best player for the Denver Nuggets. By the way, I've come around what you guys have telling me now. Denver's pretty good. Okay. So I, I acquiesce on that. I apologize. Denver's a pretty good basketball team. Bruce Brown, Shoots 49% from the field, 41% from three, 
and almost 80% from the free throw line. His, his numbers are a little below Dylan's in terms of scoring, but his rebounding and assists are the same. Dylan Brooks is that much better. He's a $25, $30 million a year player. When we could get someone, there's, a, there's some Bruce Browns in the league. My, my question is, fans want everyone to get paid because it's not our money. Fans want everyone to get paid. Give Dylan his money. Well, you're not going to like that two years from now when we can't make a move because Dylan Brooks is making $30 million a year. So it's nothing against Dylan. It's just that, like, can he be the third best player on an NBA championship team when his career is he's shooting 34.8% from three-point line? You know, he's a 40% regular. And, and if we're just being honest, a little bit hot and cold in terms of his temperament. He always plays hard. But a little, sometimes I feel a little out of control. And one other thing, I'm a little salty day for a second here. Is that a new segment now? Well, let's hear it. I'm a little tired of like, this is a family. And I heard it that uh, Dylan's part of the family. It's not a family, it's a basketball team. It's a basketball team. John Moran is the head of the family in terms of like the highest paid player and the best player. This is not a family. The, this is professional sports. And I, I don't really love like, well, you know, he's part of the family. we got to put our arms around him. Like, no, it's a basket. Do you want to win a championship or do we want to be a team that just like everyone just really enjoys rooting for? I want to win a championship. I'm a lot older than you guys. I have less time to hope for it. Hmm. You know, I want a championship and I want the best players on the team to do that. I, I, it's interesting. I get pushed back all the time on Twitter. This is a family. Zach Kleiman will never let Dylan Brooks leave. What are you talking about? that's why he paid Zach Kleiman to make tough decisions about who should be on this team to win a championship. Players leave because it's a business and they leave for themselves or sometimes the team forces them to leave, whatever the case is. But this stuff, like this is a family. It kind of drives me a little crazy. I like having a unity in purpose, but I don't think we're any more of a family than the Golden State Warriors or the Boston Celtics, or the Denver Nuggets, right? Or team or certainly or, or certainly not the Brooklyn Nets. Like that that team chemistry is terrible. <laughs> no, no, still- okay, okay, that's fair, Matt. But that's an ex- um, an exception. I, no, I, I'm saying yeah, it proves your point is that you don't have to be a family to win basketball games either. Like you, you Kevin McHale have- and Larry Bird hated each other. If you go back and read the story, Kevin McHale and Larry Bird didn't get along at all. And they won three titles, and they're both in the Hall of Fame. And this doesn't have to be like we're all holding hands at a campfire. And so I I think like, well, Dylan Brooks is never going to leave because oh my God, Ja loves him, and you know, Kleinman loves him, and that's that's why I think that the whole key is whoever they replace him with has to have a similar disposition, uh, leadership ability, and just honestly dog in him like that that is why people like him so much is that he does represent memphis go ahead dave no i I think he needs to score 25 a game that's my point my problem with the grizzlies is whoever replaces dylan brooks has to score 25 a game because i just think the nba we don't we don't have enough shot creators at the highest level when it's going to matter in april and i know brooks is i really like him too but i i worry about the things we have talked about since we started this show. And he goes through these stretches where he's pretty good for a period of time, but he's inconsistent offensively. And Xavier, you talk about like, he's going to get his extension. It worries me for a small market like Memphis that does not get free agents 
that they're going to commit four years to him and 25 million to 30 million a year for a guy that I don't trust in a game six of the finals. That as, as, that worries me. It worries me. I'm not saying I'm right, but it worries me. So you think he go finesse Memphis like how Chandler Portion did did us? <laughs> yeah, but no, because Brooks will play more. I mean, I, the, the Chandler <laughs> thing was was ridiculous, uh, but. At the time, I was kind of excited because I thought Parsons would be okay. I'm, I'm just saying, I, I, I'm, I'm nervous to like. Is there any validity, Xavier? Oh my God, man. I don't want for the for the other kitty. No, you caught yeah. yourself. I think you get to take a dollar out for that one. You caught yourself halfway. Go ahead. It was an expensive holiday. I might can do it again. So, Xavier, is there any validity though? To there might be some conversation in the locker room or some frustration from Dylan's people that he looks around that locker room and everyone else has security. God forbid Dylan hurts himself this year. We always think, you know, wow, he's just going to get his big extension next year. Is there any validity that he's upset by the fact that he's not extended? I mean, of course, in the back of your mind, you always want to, as a player, you were always thinking about the contract. Of course you want to focus about basketball, but at the end of the day, you want to get paid. So you know that guys are getting paid left and right. Especially now, you got another cap increase coming into next season. So I got to look at, I have to do the research behind it. I don't know if we was to give him that three or four year, $60 million contract, how bad would they put, how bad would they put Memphis into, you know, trade acquisitions later on in the future? But at the same time, I think Dylan Brooks, he has, I wouldn't say he has a chip on his shoulder right now, but in the back of his, he has a mental note about it. But at the same time, you, you go back and look at Brandon Clark. We didn't extend him. We passed the we passed the, the the signing period for the extension, and we got we got it done. So I don't know if Zach Kleiman really he obviously has something up his sleeve between a trade or is he going to actually extend Dylan Brooks? And at the end of the day, it's going to be decided off his play, of course. And like you were saying, Dave. It is, he is inconsistent offensively, but we do know what he's going to bring every single night, and that's energy. And a lot of these guys, sometimes these guys are going to have off nights. But Dylan, he's going to bring the energy, at least defensively, each night and try his best. Hey, Matt, next year, uh, 2023 season, is, is Dylan Brooks on the team? I don't know. This is what I'm looking at right now um, on my phone. You, so you were talking about the, the amount of money that maybe he could garner. The whole thing is that this free agency upcoming class is very weak. And you look at the wings that are going to be available. It's guys like Harrison Barnes, Jeremy Grant, Karis LeVert, Will Barton, Josh Richardson, Kelly Oubre. I'm just now getting to Dylan, Jay Crowder. So there are not as many guys that I think – could really change a team, and maybe that gives another team more more willingness to give Dylan Brooks that kind of money. I don't really see it. My faith in Zach Kleiman, the reason we have a segment named after him is he is so smart and savvy, and he doesn't make dumb decisions like that. He will not pay Dylan Brooks like he is a third best player on this team. I just don't think that he uh, had that inclination to do that. And if it comes down to it, he will let Dylan walk. And the other thing is, if you re-sign him, then you just delay this period of if you want to trade him again later on, you kick that down the road another couple months after that, and you're probably stuck with him the whole next season too. So I, I, I really don't know. It's hard for me to say. I was more in the camp of when we jumped on here that Dylan Brooks is going to be a Grizzly. 
as we've made our way through this segment, I'm not 100% sure because he probably does want to get paid. I, and I, I don't blame him if he has the opportunity to make some more money. There are teams out there that I'm sure will pay him as though he is their second best player even. And maybe he can take more shots, which is clearly something that's important to him. I just don't want to hear it when, you know, the Atlanta Hawks extend a four-year $100 million contract to him or Orlando Magic, teams that could use his intensity, you know, teams that are looking to turn the corner a little bit. There's teams out there that will pay him. Portland, Atlanta, Orlando, the Washington Wizards, teams that could really use what he brings to the table. And if he takes another offer to sign with another team or he would, or they would extend him for four years, $61 million now, if he was like just in love with Memphis, he wants to get paid. And the team can't offer more than that now. So if he ends up a Washington Wizard next year or Orlando Magic, I don't want to hear like this is just a family. It's a business. And I think we're better off as fans understanding that these guys, it's a, it's a business for them too. I, I would like Dylan Brooks as part of the team, but I don't want to pay Dylan Brooks $25 million a year. Segment three tonight. <clears throat> I think I'm going to make it to the end of the game here. I might, I might have to, uh, <laughs> I might have to bring the, uh, the the replacements in here from the bench here. I want Taylor Jenkins to put me down for a few minutes here. But let's go to segment three: Xavier's X's and O's. One thing we've talked about on this show was the roster construction and how we were going to get some some consistency with our rosters. And I love that we talked about David Roddy playing more and Tyus Jones getting more run with John Morant. And because of some injuries and some uh, the back-to-backs and stuff, we saw a pretty good sample of that, I think, this past week since we recorded together. So, Xavier, X's and O's-wise, what do you see from Roddy and Tyus Jones? Stones was great, I thought, recently, these past few games. Are you seeing what they bring to the team XO-wise? Yeah, of course, Taj Jones, he's really the best facilitator on this team. I'm going to be completely honest. He finished last night, I believe, with eight assists. But I, a lot of people underrate his passing abilities and finding those guys, especially off the pick and rolls or especially driving inside the basket. Because you, you don't know at times he has this uh, floater down pack that uh, the bigs have to commit. You he could easily do a dump off lob to a Jaron or Clark or who, whosoever it, it can be. And Ty is, is so phenomenal. I Sometimes I get really mad because I feel like it's a bad shot. But he will get the ball, push it up. He has like that angle, and he pulls up for the three, and it's money. And I'm like, that's his shot. That's his go-to signature shot right there. And, but what I, I just love his emphasis. I love his energy when he does run with Ja Morant during the first unit because you get to allow Ja to play off the ball. And I feel like with there, it's not a lot of ball watching when it's in. It's not a lot of ball watching when you have ties out there next to Ja because ties can actually have flow in the offense. We can get guys going. We can move the ball around. We can play Ja off the ball, and so which he he can get to the paint easier with cuts. And he can get to the foul lines, and he doesn't have to draw that much energy. And I, I, I feel like, yeah, Tyus is very valuable next to John Morant. But at the same time, I feel like it can be a double-edged sword because on the defensive end, you're too small. I saw it at the, at the game with the Kings. I think they was running like a three-guard lineup with Kennedy, Tyus, and Jai out there. And Harrison Barnes took advantage of that. He had uh, Kennedy on him. He took him down to the block, which is, of course, it's, it's, that's easy right there. That's barbecue chicken, as Shaq say. But as far as David Roddy, 
I'm man, I'm, I've been huge on Roddy lately, man. I'm, I'm I'm loving big body Roddy, man. He has been playing some great ball. He he's very strong. Did you not see him take that ball away from that dude last night? I'm like, oh, Roddy, that's a grown man. He's been strong. I want to see him in the post. He had Trey Lyles on him in the post. He bagged that boy down. He bagged him down. He had Trey Lyles couldn't do anything, and he got the foul. And I just I feel like Roddy's playing with extreme confidence right now. And it does and not matter. Nastiness, right? Like a little bit of like he he carries himself with a little bit of an edge to him. Xavier, how about the dunk he had the other night that it, it didn't go in? Yeah, like I was just out. I was just about to mention that. Yeah, he, he's yeah. playing with like he's playing basically with a statement of telling t- telling Taylor Jenkins, "I want more minutes." Right. And it doesn't matter what position you put me in, whether it's the two, the three, or the four. He wants more minutes, and he feels like he's valuable out there for the team. And I feel like he's playing both ends great. Whether it's you want him to score outside or you want him to score inside, and as well, defensively, he took on the challenge of guarding Zion Williamson. He called Zion Williamson three turnovers the other night, man. And he matches up well against the guys that has the strength. He's putting on uh, a defense – I wouldn't say a defensive clinic, but he's playing great defense on the perimeter. I'm, I'm really impressed by David Roddy within the, this stretch. You know, what's interesting, though, Xavier, is uh, if we're being honest and you look at his numbers this year, if you look at his points per game, 6.4, and you look at his splits, the splits are not great. So, so Matt, I feel like Roddy has separated himself from the rookie class that we have. I like uh, Chandler Kennedy, you know, give him some minutes um, uh, as a backup point guard role. But I feel like Roddy sort of separated himself in terms of he's going to be in the regular rotation even though the numbers don't back it up necessarily as much, I feel like there's a vibe to him and, and he's getting more comfortable. And I, maybe we feel like those numbers are going to tick up. Yeah. I mean, the thing that jumped out to me, I just looked at his last eight games shooting from three. Cause I think that that is really how he's going to make it impossible for him to be kept on the bench is if he can shoot better from three, but over the last eight games, 12.9% from three on four attempts per game, not good enough. He is easily, uh, the front runner out of all of the rookies to contribute into the playoffs. And the thing you're talking about, the confidence that we're seeing with him, the aggressiveness that we're seeing, he is now implementing so much more of his college game, which was back to the basket, ISO ball, uh, and going right through guys in uh, the interior. If he can develop the three and D stuff, I really think that that's where they saw value from him in the draft. Going into last night, I would have thought that John Conchar is really the guy he's going to be taking minutes away from, but, Conchars looked good over the last little bit. Conchar had a really good game last night. They clearly still are not going to give up on Zaire, so he has to have minutes as well. Guys like Bain, once Danny Green gets back in the mix, it is concerning to see where he fits in, but to Xavier's point, he can play like multiple positions. He has the ability to be on the perimeter. He has the strength to play inside. So I hope that his minutes continue to tick up, really, uh, and I think that he can be a valuable playoff contributor to these guys. I just want to see uh, a, a little bit more from the perimeter, from the three-point shooting in particular for sure. And it's super weird. If you ever watch, like, any of these interviews that he's ever done, he is, like, one of the most – like, one of the nicest dudes. Like, seems, um, you know, not, like, the, the super, like, aggressive type or whatever. And then when he gets on the floor with these guys, he's just a different dude, man. He definitely has that killer instinct. I think that's why he's fitting well with this team and you see him – getting supported by his teammates so well is because he does have that edge to him. He can play with a, a high level of aggressiveness, which is 
valued in this team. And the thing that um, Xavier talked about with Tyus, the transition three game, that's something we saw from Roddy in the preseason uh, in summer league was being able to get to the corners and make threes and also crashing um, into the paint to score in the transition game as well. That's really where he has to see uh, a lot more shots go in and contribute in that transition game because he looked really good at it in the in the preseason. We just it, it took a little bit more time for him to get acclimated into the regular season. But yeah, those are the things some some things that he can improve on. And if he starts seeing some outside shots going down, Jenkins is going to have no no uh, no option but to play him. Don't you guys feel like though, sometimes when a guy checks into the game and you just kind of feel like we okay? Like when Tyus Jones checks into the game, I just feel okay. I don't know what the numbers are all the time. You know, it's kind of like analytics versus manalytics. Like when Tyus Jones is in the game, I just feel like we're going to be okay. He is going to take care of the ball. The turbo ratio is great. He has played really well the last couple of weeks, I feel. There's a steadiness to him. But sort of with David Roddy, too. Like when he checks into the game, I just feel okay. Like he's going to not contribute in a huge negative way to the team. He's going to try to be in the right spots defensively, knock down a shot if he can, play with some aggression. I don't feel that way at all about like LaRavia at this point and, and Tillman, who I think has been super average uh, for a guy at this point. And I love that the announcer said tonight, like, and he went to the coaches and was willingly like happy to go down to the hustle. Uh, really? Well, that's awfully nice of you because you're not contributing anything at the, at the, at the NBA level. So I, I thought that was funny. What a, what a show of professionalism. He was willing to go down to the hustle. Um, and I, I just feel like Roddy, if he gets into that eight, nine rotation spot in the playoffs, I'm sort of comfortable seeing him check into the game, Xavier. You know what I mean? That feeling sometimes like he's going to be okay. Yeah. I think a lot of people forget. We basically got rid of Milton for Roddy and here he goes. He's complimenting the Grizzlies. Well, now a lot of people was over here speculating that Roddy was a bad miss within the first 10 games. He's a rookie. Let him get his feeling. Let him learn his players, the people that he's going to be around the system. And he's gotten comfortable. At first, he was just a, a shooter. He was just shooting the ball. But now you see him attacking and being more aggressive and then taking on the responsibility of guarding the best team player. I, I, I just find I find that so big of how he challenged Zion the other night. And I know yeah. he did have some big fouls. He has a, a few fouls, but. He really bodied Zion. And you know, Zion, that's a walking freight train right there. And he's not afraid. It, it, I, I don't know what you mean. I feel the the, the being comfort comfort of having David Roddy. But I call Tyus unreliable because I know what's going to happen every single night. That's unreliable right there. Tyus, he's going to give you eight to ten points. He's going to give you that five, five assists. And then as well, you know, he's going to be the orchestra for the, for the team. So I, I found comfort in those players coming off our bench, and I, I'm in, I'm loving David Roddy. I'm really young. But you were also the first one to say this year that uh, Tyus Jones was absolutely critical. And we talked about that, you know, before the season started. You really you really mentioned how important he is to this team, and uh, resigning him was great. I and mean, we, you know, not that we disagreed with you necessarily, but you were like, you know, this is the most important bench player. We've also talked about him maybe even starting, and I, I still feel like. That would be my favorite starting lineup. I just love Tyus in the game. I love the calmness he brings, bringing the ball up and just getting us into our sets. But so looking at the, the Xavier's X and O segment here before we wrap, it's an interesting team. We have so many guys. Then you hear like Santi twists an ankle, you know, Xavier William, uh, <laughs> Zaire. 
Zaire Williams has a, a knee issue. And it doesn't lead to the level of regular season panic that it will in April. So we talk about, Matt, like being locked in in April and May. There are a couple guys in this team we cannot see on that injury report come April and May. Is that fair? Yeah, but I don't think Santi and, and Zaire are those guys. Like, that's – you'd love to have them, but, I mean, there's other guys on that bench that will step up. The two guys that you can't lose off the bench that are absolutely critical are Brandon Clark and Tyus Jones. Other than that, you can mix and match Roddy, uh, Chandler – Hillman, if you absolutely need him in a pinch, and and the rest of it will will find its way to make sense. Okay. But guys like Zaire and um, and Santi, to me, are not going to make or break them making it to the NBA Finals. If they, if that's the reason they don't make it to the NBA Finals, like I I just I think something went drastically wrong <laughs> because that the, the whole thing just comes down to those starting five guys plus two, in my opinion. It comes down to those seven guys. And those eight and nine spots are pretty interchangeable, in my opinion. Obviously, there's some more upside with with Santi and uh, Zaire from a shooting perspective, hopefully, as long as they uh, can continue uh, or Santi can continue and Zaire can start making shots for sure. But, I mean, this is a really deep team. The, the two advantages that this team has is their ability to score in, in the interior and their depth. And once we get to the playoffs, like we talked about, I think a week ago, like we don't really want to see this team go 10 or 11 deep. We want to see them go eight or nine deep. And if that's the case, then they have a really deep roster that they can do that with and still be really effective. Yeah. But Zaire, like he, he, he's got to play, right? I mean, at some point we got to see him put a stretch of games together and start knocking down some threes and being a playmaker. And I love Brandon Clark, but Xavier, are we susceptible to a zone team? For, you know, we don't shoot great from the three-point. They like Brandon Clark in the middle coming in, being bouncy in the middle. Have we – you know, does Brandon look like he's growing enough that he can handle that? Because teams are going to play zone against us in the playoffs. If you've really been watching Brandon Clark, he's been making that mid-range shot. That mid-range shot has been falling big time this year. And I feel like if you do – if teams do go zone, that mid-range is big. And I don't, I know when I play – basketball my coach will put me in the middle right there and i'll pop that mid-range mid-range right there at the free throw line that's a bit that's a that's an easy go-to shot i know a lot of people think that the quickest way to break the zone of course is to shoot the three in which the grizzlies has been struggling but there's other ways that you can beat the zone and that's flashing the big to the middle and you got to keep moving the ball at the end of the day with the zones because you, if you if you have the ball just in one place or just somebody just dribbling the ball it's not going to you're not going to break that zone so i feel like clark's uh shooting at mid-range is big but of course you you want the threes you have the corners open for the threes depending on what zone they're in one three one two three it all depends on you have to move that rock as well you can get to the basket you when they go zone of course that really is going to stop one person from dribbling and penetrating but it's not the end of the world. If you keep moving the ball, and it's a, it's a, it's a screens that we used to run when I played AAU in high school ball, we would get to the basket, and it was an easy bucket right there. So it's not the end of the world. You played AAU? Yeah, I did. I played AAU. I played against a few a few guys that's in the league. Uh, Mar- uh, Marvin Bagley and uh, Darius Garland. DG cooked us, bro. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. DG was a bad, bad man. What are you talking about? We've been doing the show now for like five months. You never, never mentioned this before. That's fantastic. 
Garland has one of the best high school tapes of all time. He was nasty. Uh-oh. Oh yeah, is that right? D- yeah. DG is a is a smooth bucket getter. He been getting buckets for a long, long time. I did. I did. Uh, we're, we're friends with uh, people here that we know, and and this this girl, her fiance, he played AAU ball, and um and he played against Carl uh, Anthony Towns, and he said they would guard him like four on one, and he he would score like fifty points a game. Like he was. Just you couldn't even believe how good Cat was. I make fun of him all the time with the Timberwolves because I just don't like the Timberwolves. But this guy was like, "Nah, you don't understand. Like, that's just a different universe these guys run in." Marvin Bagley and Darius Garland. Yeah, those. Yeah, those are two that stick out. Um, I really can't think of nobody else. I mean, I got some. I got some people that I play on my team. They went on to play collegiate ball, but as far as NBA wise. Um, I mean, I know still know some players that play for University of Memphis. Uh, Chandler Lawson, I played against him. Uh, Alo, I played against him. Uh, I played against Wiseman once. I take that back. I played against Wiseman once. Yeah, he was a, he, he was a different person back in you know the, <laughs> those early high school days, having that height and being able to dunk on people pretty easily. But uh, yeah, I played against a, a, a smooth amount of people that was that's in the league right now. I just got to tell you, Xavier, I feel like the credibility of the show just went up. I just think that's fantastic. Yeah, that, <laughs> that's, great. that's a pretty good list, the all-Xavier AAU team right there. <laughs> you put all those guys on the, the team together. <laughs> the all-Xavier AAU Yeah. If, Xavier, if you call yours and I call mine, you're going to win. I think that's the way it goes <laughs> right now. Okay, our last segment tonight, this league, and we're going to focus on the best front offices in the NBA, and I am very curious to see where you guys put our beloved Memphis Grizzlies. So we're going to talk about the best front offices in the league and maybe have a little fun with the worst front offices in the league. So, Matt, I'm going to start with you. Which front offices stand out? Yeah, all right. So a couple reasons why I suggested we do this. Everybody, especially in the city of Memphis and Memphis Grizzly fans, hold Memphis's front offices the top, if not the top, you know, easily a top five front office in the league. And I think that that is true. They are on my list, uh, but I don't think they're number one. And and I want to say, I want to preface this before I start. Um, I took this most recent off season, the most into account, honestly, I took the the entire breadth of work into account, but this last off season uh, is really what kind of broke some ties for me for sure. So I'm going to start with my number four team and that's golden state. Uh, They deserve a ton of credit for drafting their, obviously their core, um, signing a guy like Kevin Durant to build um, an absolute mercenary driven team and and a killer for a couple of years. They're resulting in a couple titles for Golden State. And they have continued to build that team out with some great young guys. And really, when you think about their title last year, think about the move um, to sign D'Angelo Russell and then end up turning to him into Andrew Wiggins, who was one of their biggest playoff and NBA champion con- contenders. That was an incredible move for them. A uh, guy like Otto Porter really helped them out last year as well. So they made a bunch of good moves around the uh, fringes that helped them a ton. Jordan Poole as well, throw them into their um, list of, of, of good moves for sure uh, during their run. So they're, they're my number four team. I don't necessarily love as much what they did in this past offseason, they definitely kind of leaned in more to their young guys. And I think they expected more out of them. And that's why they're at number four on my list. But number three is our Memphis Grizzlies. Um, when I get to my number, my top two, maybe it'll make a little bit more sense. But here's something I, I got to say. You don't get credit for the John Morant pick. That was what you were supposed to do. Same thing for Jaron. And the John pick especially was – that's why they call it the lottery because 
Memphis, the city, the team, Ja himself, they all hit the lottery by those lottery balls coming down with Memphis getting the second pick and Zion, and a player like Zion having to go number one. That was the only correct move, so you don't really get credit for that, in my opinion. Where you do get credit for is finding guys like Dylan Brooks in the second round, Brandon Clark, uh, Desmond Bain uh, as a 30th pick and on the best contract in the entire NBA right now. Those are all really good check marks for you. But as I said, I took this recent, most recent offseason into account the most, and I just don't think that they've done enough over the summer and so far this season that could change, but I don't think they've done enough recently to build this team out around John Morant. Uh, they've really just relied on their core guys getting better, and they haven't really, in my opinion, uh, built a better team around them, which is not the case for my top two teams, Boston at number two. I think they should get a ton of credit for keeping Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum together. That was not something that was um, an absolute lock going into last season where they end up making it to the NBA title. Obviously, they've been to the West, the Eastern Conference Finals a bunch of times as well with those teams. And over this offseason, um, adding guys like Brogdon, Blake Griffin, even Gallinari, who got hurt. I loved that signing for him. And they re-signed some guys like uh, Cornette and Hauser, who have been good, good for him as well. So I just think that they had a really good – this past offseason, they did not rest on their laurels and their success from last season. They still wanted to push forward and try to build a championship roster. And my number one front office, Dave, you mentioned him. That was another reason I wanted to do this segment. Denver, man. Denver has done an incredible job. Uh, obviously, that front office has changed hands now. They have some different guys in there. But just looking at this past offseason, you look at guys like KCP. You mentioned Bruce Brown. Uh, Ish Smith, fine, whatever. That was a good trade, though, on the whole. Uh, the corpse of DeAndre Jordan. Maybe we'll see if he contributes anything in the playoffs. And then Christian Brown, man, one of my favorite players in the draft. Uh, one of the best rookies that I've seen so far this season. He's been awesome for Denver, and they deserve a lot of credit for that. I wish he was a Memphis Grizzly. So Denver's my number one. Uh, and then contra the exact opposite of the John Morant thing, they drafted a two-time MVP with the 41st overall pick. Who's done that? Nobody. He's incredible, and that was an incredible pick by them, and they had the foresight to go ahead. They had Nurkic, remember, before um, you know they, they really knew what Jokic was going to be, and they knew what that was going to be. And, uh, and then you pair him up with a guy like Jamal Murray – Michael Porter Jr. obviously falls to them very luckily in the draft, and they made a pretty good move. I think it was the, the the best move they could have made at the time to get Aaron Gordon. In my opinion, they have done the best to see what their star player is and build a championship contender around him, and that's why they are my number one front office. Well, Nikola Jokic is the greatest draft pick of all time. All time. Not even close. It's not even close. I mean, like you said, like you don't get credit drafting uh, Magic Johnson number one. Exactly. Right. Right. Or Akeem Olajuwon, number one, that kind of uh, it's, it's unbelievable to be a second round pick. And this guy is going to win three straight MVPs. Denver looks absolutely fantastic. That's a very interesting list. And I want to go to you, Xavier. Uh, what were your main criteria when, when you were putting together your list? Uh, you know, I took into account of like recent acquisitions, especially this past offseason. But as well, like drama that goes around in the league. Uh, with these front offices because as Matt, I know Matt, he threw Boston into there. I know that they're still a strong team, but it wasn't a good offseason for them really drama wise with, with Boston. I know they, they, they're still a strong team right now, but it was, it still was a lot of drama between the coach. And then as, as rumors came out saying that, that they wanted to trade Jalen Brown when Jason Tatum has stated so many times he wants Jalen Brown right beside him. 
yet they still was wanting to trade him. So I didn't have the Celtics in my four. So I'll, I'll start. I'll do my four. All right, start off in my fourth spot. I have Portland Trailblazers, the Portland Trailblazers. And it's I know it's, it's surprising, but listen here. Portland really should not be good right now. I'm going to be honest. They're probably, what, I think they're number eighth in the West. And I really feel like they shouldn't even be number eight because I thought there was going to be, that was it between the Damian Lillard era. And because you have, you've had Damian Lillard, you've had the, They've had their time with Damian Lillard between him and CJ. They built pieces around, put pieces around him with Nurkic to Carmelo to uh, Evan Turner and so many other guys. And last year they finally dealt CJ. And so I'm thinking, okay, they cannot be really contending and, and at least have Damian Lillard run again. But Damian Lillard just refuses to leave Portland. So Portland is like, okay, let's just give this guy one more chance, one more run. Well, Look, they drafted Anthony Simons. A lot of people forget Anthony Simons was – he was a player straight out of high school. He didn't go to college at all. I think – I forgot what school he went to. IMG. I think he did a prep school. IMG. Yeah, IMG. Yeah, he did IMG. I, 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 and he came into the league as an 18-year-old kid. I give so much credit to, to Portland finding him because our people sleep on this. When you – when you – able to 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 have time to develop behind CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard man that is a lot to learn from and he has shown himself as a baby Damian Lillard then they found themselves getting Jeremy Grant and I felt like Jeremy I feel like that acquisition was fell under the radar because Jeremy Grant he sort of has been playing like a borderline all-star Nurkic has played well then they signed Gary Payton the second He's finally playing his first game tonight, I believe. I know he's been out for injury. I, you know how valuable he was for the Warriors last year. And then they traded for Josh Hart last year. Josh Hart is a great competitor, man. And I feel like this team has it, – it, it was no way that this team was supposed to come together and be above a 500 team. I really felt like that they was missing out tanking because of Damian Lillard being stubborn and they don't want to be traded. And here they are now. They're top 10 team in the West. Although, yes, they, the West is crowded and there might be a first-round bounce, but I'll, I'll give so much credit to Portland right now, and I, that's why I have them number four. Uh, of course, number three, I got to throw the Warriors in there. It's just you did not expect Draymond Green to be a two-time depoy, this vocal leader and being that leader for the Warriors. That was some great scouting for the Warriors. And as well, like you were saying, Matt, they had Kevin Durant in that saga, and you would think what the injuries of Clay Thompson and with KD leaving, they they were that was it for them. They got bounced against. They we bounced them in twenty twenty one in the in the um, play in, and I really thought that was it for the Warriors. And here they are. They turn around. They won the championship last year. They still have their core three of Draymond, Clay. And again, Curry, man, maybe that changes next year, though. But it's still, I still give credit with the Draymond, yeah, with with that, and then of course that them drafting Jordan Poole and finding those guys that really fit the system for the Warriors. And then the my number two slot, I have the Cleveland Cavaliers, and I know that's going to surprise a lot of people, but the Cavs have slowly, like the way that they made their acquisitions after the LeBron era how LeBron left them everybody really thought that it was it 
for the Cavaliers that they was going to go back to their deep, deep losing streaks. And which, I mean, they did have a nice loss. It was just really in Kevin Love over there for a minute. But, yeah, they, they made those draft picks, like you were saying. They had a choice between Darius Garland and Colin Sexton. And both of them at the time, like, you really didn't know which guard to, to really build around of. And they selected the correct guard. They yep. went with their, yeah, they went with DG. And that's paid off. They got Jared Allen. Jared Allen is such an underrated center. He's valuable. He shoots high percentage. He's a great rim protector. He's underappreciated. And then they draft Evan Mobley. I feel like he has star potential. I really feel like he could be a top five player in, in, in this league 10 years from now. He's a, a huge star player. And they see, okay, they see last year how, how well they played together. Injuries really set them aside because of injuries. They didn't make the playoffs. I, they see that. But they see, okay, we need uh, a guy that's really going to take us to the top and can be a shot creator. They see what's that one void, and they put all they chips on the table. They see that they already have the use, so what's the point of having the picks? They put those picks out there, and they trade it for Donovan Mitchell, and that's been a great piece for them right now, man. Donovan Mitchell has bought into the system. He's playing great defense. He was up there in the MVP category. I don't know about now, but he's still playing some great ball. And I'm, I'm loving what the Cavs are doing. And then number one, I got us, the Memphis Grizzlies, because, man, it's still fascinating how great this organization is. Truly, Ron, Zach Kleiman has done a great job. Man, it's like you were saying, like you're, you were supposed to draft John Morant at the end of the day. You was. But it's just these sneaky picks that we've gotten, like the Desmond Bain at the 30th pick. Uh, Santi Aldama last year was a 30th pick. And look at him now. And then it, it, these guys, they built the culture here. I, I, I love it. Each year, I, be, I feel like we have somebody so valuable that nobody knows. And it's going to pay off each year. And so, so yeah, those, those are my top four right there. I love recording this show with you guys because I, sometimes we see this league a little differently. Sometimes we see it the same. But that, that is really interesting to hear your list, both of you. So I'm, I'm going to knock this out real quick. Uh, I had the, I had a tie at the four spot with the Toronto Raptors. I love the way they run that organization. They have a world championship, but I just think they run a classy organization. I had also them tied with the New Orleans Pelicans, who I think have set themselves up with uh, a lot of draft picks, a lot of draft capital, uh, some good picks with like uh, Dyson Daniels. I like the Trey Murphy pick. I, I you know, obviously you don't get credit for Zion necessarily, but I, I think the Pelicans are in good position. I like the way they're run right now. I had third Memphis Grizzlies. I'll get to them in a second. I had second the San Antonio Spurs, who I think have been a great organization for 20 years. And they are doing the right thing, losing all their games, as many as they can, to get this Victor Wembayama. I just wanted to say something that I said several weeks ago. What the hell are the Utah Jazz doing? Because now the Utah Jazz – Oh, they're 19 and 20. They're 10th in the West. They're not going to get the number one pick. They're going to be into playing at best. And now they're going to be irrelevant for the next 10 years. Victor Wimbayamba is the prize of the next 10 years like LeBron James was. Any team that is not tanking openly for him, that is not a championship caliber team in the top four of each conference, is absolutely wasting their time. I don't know what the Jazz are doing. It was a nice story. We have, oh, I will have Laurie Mark and the coach. All this stuff. They're going to be, you don't want to be in the middle of the NBA. 
You want to be great or lousy. And when there's a player like Wimby Yamba out there, did you see him the MVP of the French game just the other night? Yeah. <laughs> and by the way, it makes me super nervous because the Rockets, Spurs, and Pelicans have a real good chance of getting this kid. If we're just being honest, right? And Absolutely. he makes me super nervous if he's in the Memphis Grizzlies division. I do think the number one best run organization is the Golden State Warriors. To get Draymond Green, you hit on that, Xavier. Even like Clay Thompson was the 13th pick in the draft. But just even like, you know, even the Curry pick at seven, like everything, they've set themselves up for now. They won four titles. But I want to get back to the Memphis Grizzlies. And here, I heard something Bill Simmons said. This was the number one thing I wanted to bring up today on the show. Bill Simmons had an excellent point about Luka Doncic and the Dallas Mavericks. When you finally get a player, your time frame becomes now. Someone was beefing with me on Twitter about, well, the Grizzlies' time frame is 2025. Are you kidding me? Have you seen John Morant play basketball? Are we sure that we want to just like what? sail along these next couple years, hoping that in 2025, 2026, John Morant's going to then, the time is now. Luka Doncic accelerated the Dallas Mavericks window to now. John Morant has accelerated the Memphis Grizzlies time frame to now. There is no guarantee that in 2025, John Morant's going to be healthy. God willing, he is, but we don't know. And, and I want to say this, and it's probably not the nicest thing to say. There's no guarantees on the Grizzlies either. I know he just signed this big contract extension. But when you start becoming a star in the NBA, now Ja is hanging out in a different stratosphere. He's going to go to all-star games every year. He's now not going to like getting knocked out in the second round of playoffs year after year. And guys get in their ears. And if people think John Morant could never leave Memphis, first of all, he wasn't born in Memphis. And we saw it with LeBron James. LeBron James was born in Akron and left Cleveland. Because when you get to a certain point, you want to win championships. And John Morant is now elevated nationally to this point where he's a superstar. And we love him. But if he's out in the first round against the Clippers this year, out the next round against the Nuggets next year in the second round, and he's not playing meaningful games in June, to think that he could not say, you know, I, I kind of want to win a title is being naive. We saw LeBron. He's actually left Cleveland twice. So as good a front office as the Grizzlies is, if the time to capitalize is now, they have the draft picks, they have the draft capital, they have cap space, they have expiring contracts. I don't know what they're waiting for. And, and you know, I, I don't trust rookies in the postseason. I think John Morant is ready to win a championship now. It's really interesting. Xavier, you sent me something on, on Slack today from NBACentral.com. The Grizzlies are the potential landing spot for a next available star. I know John, John Morant loves his guys. Is he going to love passing the ball to, to John Conchar at the three-point line for the next couple of years? We'll see. I don't want it to come across too harsh. But the Grizzlies front office has got a great point to come to this level and now to get to the next level to be a championship team every single year of the next during the John Morant era, which is now, not 2025. The front office has to be aggressive and take big swings. So, so I'll, I'll start with you, Matt, like push back or say like, you know, I'm full of it. But I, I think if we're just thinking Jaws going to love – 
you know, love not being in the finals. If this, if this front office doesn't acquire enough talent, I think is naive. Yeah, no, I mean, it's true. It goes back to the same thing you were talking about with the, this is, this isn't a family. It's a basketball team and Giles is a basketball player. He's not the son of Memphis. You know what I mean? And yeah, that day could come. I don't think it's anywhere near in the future. I think it's going to take a lot longer and a lot more hitting your head on a on a ceiling before you uh, get to that point with job. But to go back to that tweet that you were talking about, I just don't really know who the next star is that, that really helps this team. Kevin Durant seems to be settled in Brooklyn. They're now rolling, playing some really good basketball. A guy like Bradley Beal, sorry, that's a pass from me, Dave. You can keep him up there with you. Um, I – I, I've kind of come around on the DeRozan thing, like you guys said, but I just I don't really know who that star is that's that's going to get frustrated and one out. Um, it just seems like a very quiet trade market, and I just don't really know who that player is. But I, I'm totally with you, Dave. The championship window is now. The, the the time frame has been accelerated. A guy like John Morant does do that for you, but the way that a guy like Desmond Bain has made a huge jump and you have him on such a good deal, those are really the players that I think accelerate your timeline because you have to capitalize before you have to pay Desmond Bain a whole bunch of money too. And while you have Jaron on a reasonable deal as well, and you don't, you know, and you have these, all these assets, like you talked about, when you don't really need the draft picks going into the future, the time is now I'm with you there. Xavier, my way off. I mean, I, I tell you, Wembayama scares me. He just scares me and he's going to end up in our division and we could look at 10 years and not even winning the division. I, I think if he ends up on the Pelican Xavier, we're, we're in big trouble. Of course, yeah, the window is – yeah, right now, the league is going to do nothing but continue to get better. Uh, you see it now in the West really is stacked up one through ten. I, I know a lot of teams are starting to – beginning to separate. But, yeah, I really see after this season, with the same squad, with these guys still having the picks, I say running through this season. But after that, you really have to start putting all the chips on the table. We got to figure out who's go who's truly going to be valuable for us, and we need to get those stars because, you know, Memphis is a small market. Although John Morant is here, some people are willing to play with John Morant. Memphis is, is a small market, and we're going to have to make those trades and be risky. And championships isn't won without any risk. You got to put some risk on the table, and I feel like the Grizzlies have been a little bit conservative about that. But at the same time, you still have so much youth and you don't know what they can become in, in this future. But we have to continue to, to grow and, and, and believe that our front office are going to make those right decisions. And I would love to see some type of another star next to, to, to job course in Memphis, in Memphis to be exact. But it, it's like – it is a hard decision to make. It is a hard decision to make as a fan because you love these players, right? But at the end of the day, this is a business. This is a business. And the and the whole goal of this is to win a championship in Memphis, Tennessee. It's like not a family like the core four, right? <laughs> yeah. Hey, one more thing I want to add before we move on to our worst uh, front offices real quick. The, the other thing, Dave, is this is one of the deepest draft classes we may have ever seen. Regardless of if one of those guys, one of those teams get Wimbe and Yama, who I'm with you, can be a complete franchise changer. I think there's 10 guys that have the, the ceiling of being that when you look at Scoot Henderson, the Thompson twins, uh, both the Arkansas guards, um, and the kid in South Carolina, Gigi Jackson. I love him as well. 
there's going to be two or three new rookies that come into our division who are going to be awesome. And uh, for a team like New Orleans, who can just add, continue to add role players and get better, um, that's a real problem. And for teams like Houston, uh, who maybe already have a guy like that in Jalen Green, it, it's going to be a tougher division. As, as Xavier said, this league is just going to keep getting deeper and better. Good stuff. All right. Uh, so, Xavier, uh, th those are some of the best run organizations in the NBA. Thank you for letting me go off there a little bit about, like, I think the windows now. But we have a lot of bad teams in the NBA, too, and it starts at the top. So who are some of your worst front offices? I think at number one, we should have all the same team, and that's the Los Angeles Lakers. Yeah. And it even goes back to really in the 80s with the Lakers of how bad they've been run. I know they've had Magic Johnson and, and Kareem, but I, I finally watched that that Magic, well, the Showtime documentary, and you show you see how the 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 Buzz family ran that team of who has a, 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 a as Magic Johnson being so close to the owner like that. You you don't see that well, with different players. So so we probably want to take this offline or, or another show. I, I'm going to push back a little bit on you. I think the Lakers, you know, the James Worthy pick was great. They they they, they won a bunch of rings and it's I let, I'll tell you what. Let let's pause on that Xavier and get okay. into cuz I loved winning time too. It's a by the way an amazing book by Jeff Perlman. It's an amazing book. Um so I think we could do a whole segment on on that. Um <laughs> <laughs> because I kind of feel like, you know, infighting at the top is okay, but the Laker product was pretty good for a long time. Well, yeah, I mean, you, you're right about that. But, I mean, okay, we'll fast forward to now. It's not looking too good for the Lakers. Yeah, because LeBron's their GM. That's the problem. Yeah, late GM. Yeah, yeah I, I'm with it. I, I don't have him as one, but I have him as two. As, again, like I said, the, the thing I took the most into account when doing this was the most recent offseason, and their roster just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, I'll go ahead and just give my number one right now. I actually think it's Charlotte because yeah. they just – they don't have they, – they as, as Dave said, you don't want to be in the middle, and Charlotte is constantly in the middle. This year may be their best chance just because they stink so bad that they may still have an opportunity to get Victor Wembanyama. But to me, Charlotte is just such a boring team. They're always perpetually in the middle. And if they sign re-sign Miles Bridges, um, that's going to be a really bad look. And it's it's looking like they're that that is more and more likely is that they're going to bring Bridges back. And if they do that, you're one of the worst run teams of all time, I got, honestly. I got a quick question for y'all. Do you guys think that Michael Jordan is the worst owner ever? Oh. Mm. In the NBA? Ever. I wouldn't say ever. I wouldn't say ever. But do you think he's the worst owner right now in the NBA? In terms of compiling talent, I would agree with you, yes. But, I mean, there, there, it, it depends on how you define worst, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, Rob, yeah. Because, like, Sarver may be worst. You know, or, yeah. or, or if you go all-time Sterling. Uh, so it depends on what you use, what, what kind of frame of reference you're using for it. But, yeah, I mean, Charlotte's got to be um, on anybody's list. But I'm with you, Xavier. I got, I got the Lakers at number two. Who else you got That's on your list? I, I think we agree here. Those are the two teams I had. Charlotte, they blew the Kai Jones pick and the uh, James Booknight pick. Like, those were high draft picks. We talked about the, the Grizzlies uh, front office hitting on Bain, hitting on Aldama, hitting on Brandon Clark. I mean, the Hornets just blow pick after pick. And, and those those were big misses, I think, for those guys who just are not contributing at all. Now, you mentioned Miles Bridges might come back. Oh, my goodness. Uh, uh, so – 
I'm not gonna lie. I, I really like Kai Jones and James Book Knight going into the draft. So I, I that <laughs> I don't hate as much. But other stuff like the Terry Rozier contract. But they're not playing, I, Matt. They're not playing. No, and, I know. And, I'm and, I'm saying yeah, I mean, Kai Jones has his hair the, the Hornet teal color, like which is I, fine if you're like an All Star level player. It's not fine when you're like a bench player. Yeah, I think. Um, it's uh, it's sorry. I just got a notification that the Bills and Bengals game just got delayed or suspended or whatever for whatever reason. Um, yeah, but so they too. yeah, I'll be honest. I liked Kai Jones a lot at Texas, and I like James Book Knight a lot at UConn. Um, David, why don't you go with the rest of your worst as well? I want I want to hear who else you got on there. Yeah, okay. I got Lakers as number one, right? Um, but I'll put Brooklyn is there in there as well because they've been in the league. Well, it's, 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 as long as they've been in Brooklyn, like they have not accomplished anything because it, they traded all their picks to go for a championship and get those the wash Celtics. And right. And as soon as they had an opportunity to bounce back, they had the D low, they had Jared Allen, they had Spencer Dinwiddie. They made a nice little run in 2019. They trade all those guys again to get KD and Kyrie, and then you got this drama. And I know they're playing well now, but, man, the Brooklyn Nets, as, as, as since they've been in Brooklyn, they haven't accomplished anything. They have not. Yeah, and I think as far as just, like, accumulating talent, like the Kevin Durant and Kyrie thing was more so that they didn't want to go to the Knicks and they wanted to be in New York. <laughs> so, like, other than – like, if that if that doesn't happen, then you got nothing, really, to be honest, but – and then that's how they get James Harden. So it's not like they're they're like master negotiators at signing free agents or whatever. So you got Brooklyn at three, and who who else is on your list? Uh, and last, last for me, I would have to put, yeah, like you were saying, like Utah Jazz at the moment that they're not tanking. I, I really thought coming into the season that everybody really thought that the Jazz was <laughs> was going to tank for win by Elmo right away, and I know that they made the moves. Of having signing Laurie Markin and getting college Sexton, and they've been competitive. But man, oh man, like you, the the Jazz, bro, like you really did not take advantage of this. And even so, though, like they still got opportunity to get picks because you got a lot of tradable players of Jordan Clarkson and, and, and Malik Beasley. But you put yourself in a bad situation right now to to not get this number one generational talent. But you was like you saying though, Matt, this is a deep class. They can easily get one of those Thompson brothers and those those Thompson brothers can hoop. And they yeah. can hoop. I'll tell you what, I honestly had a hard time figuring out where to put Utah in this. I'm with you that they should have been tanking, but the fact is they put together a roster and they've you know, I think Will Hardy also factors into that as well. You got to give the front office credit for that. They found a really good coach. And he's making it work with what he's got and taking a shot and a swing on a guy like Laurie Markin and it paying off like that is a plus for me um, as far as a GM goes. Yes, I think that they're making the wrong decision by not tanking completely, but you got to give them credit for what they did um, uh, on the on the fringes, which I think is really what sets apart a, a good front office from a great one. Uh, I'll finish up my list right here. So, as I said, Charlotte, number one for me, the Lakers, as we touched on number three, I've got Minnesota. Uh, you look at the entire history of work there, not great as, as a, an entire franchise. And they made a they made a catastrophic error by getting Rudy, Rudy Gobert. That's going to go down as one of the worst trades in NBA history, I promise you. It was a terrible trade. And the, the reason it's not any good, the, the reason I had some of the teams that I had on my good list 
is because it was not a move to empower your best player, who is Anthony Edwards, and they don't realize that. And they made it harder on a guy like Anthony Edwards to get in the paint and score. He's he's rounded in his shape a little bit, but they still have not figured that whole thing out. D'Angelo Russell's a disaster, in my opinion, a bottom five-point guard in this league, and they got to move on from him as well. I think that that roster, they completely screwed up. Getting rid of a guy like Jared Vanderbilt to Utah, who, as I just said, and that's a guy that I love for sure. Um, so, yeah, I've got Minnesota on there, mostly from this past offseason. I think they really took a lot of swings and misses there. And then four, I have Houston. Uh, number one, I think that Eric Gordon is a piece that should have been moved last season. Um, no idea why they're not trying to get any value for that as well. And the main thing is they have a guy in Jalen Green now who can be your primary scorer, who can be your best player, and they have some other good, nice rookies as well. And they have not surrounded with them, them with any kind of veteran talent that can teach these guys how to actually win basketball games. All it is is just your turn, my turn, your turn, my turn, spread them out five wide, and they stink. And I think that that's on the front office uh, first and foremost. Did you guys hear when they asked Eric Gordon, has there been any improvement this year? Since we, He's like, there's been no improvement. Exactly. So, so what is he still doing on the roster? And especially – so that's your one veteran guy, and he doesn't want to be there at all. To, the reason you should have veteran guys on that team right now is to try and bring along your young talent and teach them how to be a good professional. Eric Gordon doesn't want to do that. He doesn't even want to be on the team. I thought we were going to get through this segment without minute, uh, mentioning the Minnesota Timberwolves, just out of like, you know – didn't want you know <laughs> hit two. It was a bad the trade. They've been terrible. They've been terrible. Bad trade, and that was a yeah. good team. Think about how. Hey. Think about all the problems they gave the Grizzlies last year. It's only because they didn't yeah. have a guy like Rudy Gobert, and that's what I was talking about with Stephen Adams. They had Cat outside, and they yeah. brought him away from the rim, and they totally ruined everything that was good about that team. And apparently, Gobert's a good guy. It's not a personal thing. It's like he's a bad fit. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I don't yeah. think he's a bad guy at all. They just yeah. haven't been able to figure it out. Well, that is our show for this week. Great show, guys. Let's wrap it up, Matt. Where can the listeners find you on social media? Yeah, I'm at Matt H. Gill on Twitter. Check me out there. Uh, follow the SBN Grizzlies page for all the Grizzly Bear Blues content, all those different podcasts on the podcast network, all the written contest content uh, for all the games as well, and then follow our show page as well on Twitter at the Core 4 Podcast. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, we have great, great content there on Grizzly Bear Blues. A lot of great shows. And uh, Xavier, how about you? Where can the, uh, the listeners find you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Zaytom Takes. And then as well, for extra basketball analysis, you can find me on TikTok at underscore XZAY. Good stuff, good stuff. We have a good week coming up. Let's get a win at Charlotte Wednesday. We got Orlando in Orlando on Thursday. Come home uh, against the Jazz. And then we have back to uh, two back two games, right, with uh, San Antonio then next week. I'm sure we'll have a recording before that. But some very winnable games, a chance to get a streak going here. Uh, great recording with you guys. Check me out on Twitter at DLB19338. Great being with you. Don't forget that uh, we are the core four of the show for the hardcore Memphis Grizzly fans. Stolen by Marin. Hammer. Nail. Coffin. This baby is over.